Are you ready to rewind? Take a nostalgia-filled ride back to a simpler time. It's Acid Wash Memories, a retro pop culture celebration. And now your hosts, Joe Morata and Michael Quinn. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 21 of Acid Wash Memories, a retro pop culture celebration. Today, we're talking about casual dining. My name is Joe Morata, and I am joined, of course, by Michael Quinn. How you doing there, Michael? Hi, Diners Club member, Michael Quinn. <laughs> the original Diners Club member, Michael yes, Quinn. Yes, that's me. We're talking all about food here, but before we do that, here's some food for your thoughts, folks. If this is your first time with us here, we do have a different topic every week, and you could probably find something that you might like in the archives in the archives so just check us out subscribe if you're not put off yet that we'd really appreciate that you can also follow us on twitter at awm podcast that's awm podcast on twitter and if you have a facebook we have a group there where we talk about not only the uh, weekly topic of the show but all sorts of retro dining menus topics yes um, dining menus of your yeah appetizers of your yes Anything with your in it, we're probably involved. Yeah, and guess what? You're invited to Aha! our group. Ha! Stop. Uh, you can join it. Acid Wash Memories on Facebook. We talk about old things. This is what this is. This show is a retro pop culture celebration, not meant to be dramatic. The oldest things. Yes, we talk about very old things, you yeah. know, like uh, when you push a hoop with a stick. The telephone. Yeah, the telephone. The telegram. Yeah. The telegraph. We got, we got it all covered here. And tell your friends. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys for being with us here. Talking about casual dining. The casual dining restaurant industry still exists to this day. But what do you mean by casual dining, Joe? Well, Quinn, I think the best thing to do is to start with this. What is going out to eat? Well, instead of having somebody in your household or you yourself cook it, you have somebody else cook it. And also bring it to your table on oh, top wow. of it. Really? It yeah. Drinks too? Yeah, drinks. Bring it the whole. It's full service, Joe. You get a fork and a knife and everything. Oh yeah, it's all there. You have to pay for it though. Oh, of okay, course. I mean, it, it's not. It's, it's not like people do this for free. <laughs> right, okay, just making sure here. Have you tried the lasagna? It's my favorite. Now, obviously, you guys know what it is to go out to eat. That's called a joke that we just made. Yeah, ha ha ha. You know, if you've ever been out to eat, you've probably been to a casual dining restaurant. And well, what is that? What is that experience? Because I gotta say, Quinn. As a kid, when I, when you have much less experience and discernment about things, mm -hmm. to me, there were two categories of restaurants. Burger King yeah. and McDonald's, right? Yeah. And that was like a nice treat to go mm -hmm. there and sit. Yeah. But if we went to, Lord help me, Red Lobster yes. or Olive Garden or something, that was, to me, eight-year-old me or whatever, fine dining. Primo. Right. Primo. <laughs> and kids get shrimp, too. A complete meal, just $1.99. And we didn't even know that that is like the low end of the totem pole. That's that is casual what casual dining, dining is. Right? And now we have defined it. The whole idea, the whole focus of casual dining is it is affordable. It's family friendly. And you don't have to dress up. It's not a drawn out two, three hour affair yeah. if you don't want it to and be. And even, it, I mean, also like there's formal dining places, but there's also like nicer restaurants yeah. like ramen or Thai food or something like that where it's like maybe it's an exotic food but that's not what we're talking about here no we're those talking are like about, actual restaurants we're talking about the chains yeah that cropped up probably within the last 50 to 60 years right. that's really caught on it has been in a decline the actual casual dining industry it has been supplanted in a lot of aspects by fast casual which we will get to but to get into the history we're not gonna do the whole history of restaurants but 
a brief history of restaurants, right? Mm-hmm. It's from a French word that literally means to restore to ah, a former state. I say the idea because being, when you eat, exactly, duh. your strength is restored. You know, your yeah. your vitality is restored. This is a place where you can go be restored. You go be restored, exactly. And eating establishments have obviously been around since people needed to eat food. I mean, we're talking since BC. Yeah. Since ancient times, eating establishments, quote-unquote, have been around. But Since the dawn of civilization. Pretty much, Quinn, yeah. yeah. And not in the sense that we would think of them now, but, you know, where you'd go to a place that would have, like, a pot of gruel. Like a tavern or, <laughs> yes. or a pub. Or an inn, yeah. if you will. You know, there were even wine bars, and not kidding around. There were wine bars back then. You'd go and you'd drink your wine. I'm sure the Romans were all on top it of that. It was all Roman, yeah. yeah. yeah of and course they were. Of course, Romans, wine. Yeah. Uh, have your got tapas. a big city. I right. mean, you got, you got people serving all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah. And you got to drink. And yeah, like Quinn said, taverns, inns, and things like that. But the modern restaurant, the way we think of it, where you walk into an establishment, usually a host or a hostess or a maitre d' or whatever the case may be says hi and then they take you to a table right and mm-hmm. then a waiter brings us to all that that really originated in france not surprisingly mm-hmm. one of the cuisine capitals of the world I mean, maitre d like, yeah. and that, it's like <laughs> yeah. super french restaurant yeah and that was in the late 1700s that makes sense i mean france they are a cultural icon they, they're, they were, are. there was plenty of things started over there it makes total sense that the restaurant would begin in that area absolutely france uh you know paris was, i'm assuming i think yeah. it was yeah uh, france obviously was on the pulse of cuisine and still is in a lot of ways to this day and fine dining really became the norm and this was in the 1800s and into the 1900s, mm-hmm. the complete opposite of your greasy spoon, your lunch counters that were also cropping up, where blue collar workers would literally, you know, in the middle of their work day, let's say you're a farmer or some kind of a mechanic or something, mm-hmm. you'd wander in in your overalls. Get a quick bite. Yeah, get a greasy sandwich and whatever the heck they have. That's right? more and closer to fast food. If it you is. Yeah. It is. But fine dining was the complete opposite of that, where... Men were wearing, you know, either black tie or white tie. Right. Wearing tuxedos, formal wear. And this is not just you go in and get an appetizer and like one entree. You get, you know, courses worth. Yeah. You have different forks, Quinn. And I'm sure it wasn't it wasn't just the rich. I'm sure, you know, maybe people of lower classes would spend uh you know maybe they're taking their wife somewhere or something right well, yeah, it, there's it, also that you know it's just it's it's a higher level than most people are used to eating their dinner on a regular basis yeah right unless you have a lot of money where you live in connecticut right john facento mm-hmm. but anyway uh the experience was a much more formal affair right you know restaurant eating and then prohibition hit and that actually impacted the restaurant industry a real lot. And then well, you're taking away one of the <laughs> fundamental aspects of going to a restaurant. Exactly. And what about the uh, stock market? I heard that that crashed in 1929. 1929, it crashed, and uh, a lot of things changed. A lot of things did change. You know, and a lot of industries had to adapt. A lot of industries went under. Yeah. It was a it was a huge change. It it changed how people did everything Some, right something with al capone i'm not yeah. really sure but yeah and, it and did. one thing that it changed is uh nobody cared anymore about this prohibition business right they already barely cared anyway they were already breaking the law but now they were like this can't be the law we we, right. we, we don't have any tolerance <laughs> right. for, for this even being the law <laughs> That's it was very shortly after the depression began yeah that, you know this was gone immediately prohibition was revoked yep yeah Around this same time in the 30s and into the 40s as we get into World War II was the, I guess, slow erosion 
of fine dining being the norm right. when you went out to a restaurant. And instead, what had cropped up, and we covered this in our Burger Wars episode, uh, were places like White Castle. Right. Fast food. My White Castle by the sack, because nobody eats just one. Yeah, something that you could get quickly and it was inexpensive because that was the need for people at the now, time. Now, to go hand in hand with all this, though, you did have stuff like the diner, right? You had, yeah, in certain states. Not every yeah. state had a diner yes. but, or a greasy spoon, you right. know, a but, lunch counter. But you had like, yeah, like not a chain, like a White Castle or something like that, but like, you know, local quicker eating establishments less formal you know like a mom and pop shop but it was fast it was faster right yeah it absolutely was and, and the automat too don't forget don't the forget automat. the automat we yeah. have to mention the automat <laughs> never very, forget the automat <laughs> very very important folks but one of the first uh, there is no defined first casual dining restaurant but a precursor that maybe you guys have heard of uh, would be howard johnson's they sprung up in the 20s and were really popular uh, initially until the 40s. Howard Johnson's is famous for fried clams. Tender, sweet, deeply crusted and golden brown. Crispy, crunchy, sweet as a nut. And they were like a family-friendly, franchised restaurant. There were a lot of them throughout the United States. They then went into the hotel-motel business right. and eventually experienced a lot of hardship before going under. But maybe some of you old-timers out there, maybe you've heard your parents talk about it, Howard Johnson's was a very popular chain yes. for a long period of time in the 20th century. But the actual casual dining, as we think of it, was there to meet a need. And just guess when this started to take off, Quinn. The 50s. <laughs> I don't even have to think about it. I mean, everyone's got a, a spare coin in their pocket. Yep, uh, the American dream, People baby. are starting families. Uh, houses are cropping up all over the country. New sub suburbs. Exactly. You know, like, you know, these people got to eat, right? These people got to eat. They, and they don't want to cook it every night. No, they, they don't, don't want to go out on the weekend. And they have the luxury to be able to afford it. Like Quinn very neatly said there, you know, people are moving out of the big cities into the suburbs. Yeah. We, we all know about the rise of suburbia in the 50s and 60s. Not ain't much to do out there sometimes. I so, mean, you got, you got Town Square. and Yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah, right? maybe. <laughs> yeah, if, they're, if they built it yet. And the other thing is, too, people that live in the suburbs generally used not their feet for a means of transportation, but cars, which gave a wider net for people to go to different yeah, so places. You could, you could open these kind of places in any corner of the vicinity of the town, right? Exactly. People might travel 20, 30 minutes if they felt like it yeah. to go to your establishment. So there were just increasing incomes for the middle class at that time. And, and access, clearly. And access. And with that came a greater demand for more dining options. And one of the things that happened around this time, the 50s and 60s, is uh, I guess you can call them food distributor networks, you know, yes. basically your supply chain for food. The highway system, so you could transport all of that all stuff. Hand so it's in all hand It's all connected. All yeah. the logistics that go into the highway system. And that's not just system. me, the usual clinic. Oh, it's all connected. No, it is all it connected. It really is, like, yeah. It's like the, them being able to transport food, make food for cheaper yeah. than they used to. Exactly. Yeah. Bulk produce, mass yeah. produce, wholesale it. All of these companies that were producing some facet of what goes into a restaurant, whether it's the meat, whether it's, you know, the your- flour. Yeah. Right? Yeah, no, they're, they're flatware. Yeah, like all the basics. All, all the basics. We're all now cheap right. in the 50s. The equipment, the food, all of it. They would then build uh, relationships with these new establishments. And the idea there was to be able to produce the goods that were needed, store them where mm. needed. It's not just mom and pop putting their you know old meat in the shed. Right. It's a gross visual, but you know what I'm saying, right? It's also not just like a specialty restaurant that has a hookup with some vendor somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like or a locally kind of owned yeah. farm to table type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Where it's much more confined. 
this allows people restaurants to have wider menu options because mm-hmm. they have more access to the goods to the materials and to the food itself and as these distribution companies became more sophisticated they became able to manage all of this stuff and what this did for the development of chain restaurants is it allowed a standardized menu throughout all of the franchises yep so a guy like roy crock we talked about them we talked about white castle and kfc and all those other guys in the fast food episode they use the system for another means it's, but it's the same system it's the same system pretty much right yeah. just to deliver a slightly different product and again the reason that this worked so well and these really started the boom after the 60s, into the 70s, into the 80s and 90s, is, again, moderate prices. Mm-hmm. It's not fine dining prices, right? Yeah. You can get an entree, maybe an appetizer, or a drink. It's reasonable. Yeah. It's not going to hurt your pocketbook, as they say. Yep. And like we said, it's made possible because the to get the, the product is also cheaper. Yes, exactly, Quinn. And it's a safe family atmosphere. It is not some rowdy pub. Right. And it is not some snooty, and I'm using it to be facetious, but it's not some snooty fine dining place either. It's somewhere in the middle, it's like the middle the- class. <laughs> oh, yeah, is that uh, what it is yeah, for middle America, uh, yeah, perhaps? Middle America, right? the middle class. It's <laughs> it's very 50-50. It's very even. It re- right? Even Steven, even if you will. Even Stevens, yeah. So much so that they would have you know children's menus. They'd have kid-friendly options. You know, it was okay if the kid sat there and colored while waiting for his of course. cheeseburger or something. It doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. With our kids' chicken finger basket, you get chicken fingers, a mound of fries, a drink, and a sundae. And don't forget me. What? And chuckles the finger puppet to make yourself. I love fingers. He could color. They would sometimes give you the crayons. They give you paper, the placemats for the kids. They were coloring books, basically. And as these families cropped up during the baby boom, Mm -hmm. uh, these places became indispensable and invaluable to families looking for a dining out experience, but without having to get all dressed up and spend a lot of money. And not have to make a reservation. You could do it on a spur of a moment a lot of times. Oh, yeah. You could just walk right in. Most times you can, right? And even nowadays you can. And with the power of technology, you can also you say, I'm here. And then you can leave <laughs> and then come back. <laughs> it's very, very good. So, folks, we're going to want to hear some of your favorite casual dining restaurants. What we're going to do in a second here is talk about a bunch of the chains. Not every single one. There's so many of them, obviously. Yep. So, we're not omitting anything with any explicit purpose. But... What I do want to kind of bring this back to the acid-washed memories aspect is for me, like I said, growing up, going to a Chili's or an Applebee's or Ruby Tuesday's or Olive Garden, to me, that was such a big deal. I think it, you know, my 30s now, it's more of like, eh, it's all okay. Yeah. Well, what do you, what's your no, take it's, on it's it? It's kind of the same, same way. I mean, I really looked forward to going to these, these were a step above McDonald's. Yeah. And like, they felt like a weekend a place or, or that kind of thing. Or, you know, you get done shopping or, or doing some chore or task or something. And it's like, hey, do you want to all go out to Applebee's? You know, sure. like, and, sure. yay. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> the food's great. You know, yeah. and, and it's not like we're, you know, we're rushed and it's, you don't feel like it's junk food. I think that's like, was the difference to me. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good point. It doesn't feel like it's junk food. It doesn't feel like it's fast food. Right. It feels like there might be some no- nutritional value, though some would dispute there, there that. I- there is, and, and they there would is, put it on the menu too, no doubt. But, Absolutely. Um, yeah, it was just, it just felt like a special experience on top of it. They all had different themes and they yes. all, they all had different kinds of menus and you you did it gives you choice too as far as like 
hey, you know, we could go to Applebee's or we could go to Chili's or maybe on the border sure. or like one of these places. Yeah. Or but what are you in the mood for, basically, right? Pretty much, Quinn. You know what? Let's talk about the experience here. We're going to talk about a bunch of different restaurants um, shortly, but all of them have some things in common. Most of all is the casual atmosphere. And we right. really, it, it isn't just like a bit of nomenclature. It really is casual when you go into these places. Yeah. So I think the template for like how it's all laid out, right? As far as like, I'm ta- just talking the building. The prototypical. The prototypical usually has, you know, you walk in, there's kind of a waiting area, yeah. you know, with a, with a bench or something. Because usually, and these places on the weekend are usually like lines out the door. There's a wait, back, yeah. Right? You can either tell the lady, uh, you know, call, they'll give you that buzzer thing. <laughs> yeah, some or, places or, do. Or, or, or now they do now with they, the phone. Now they text you. But either way, so okay, right? But the other thing these places have usually is a bar where you can opt to just sit at. There's no, like, wait. You just go yep. and, you know, you could just wait at the bar until your seat's ready or not. Or you could eat there. Yeah, and it had, like, a different menu sometimes. Yeah, bar menu, yeah. And then it's either surrounded by, by like, a vast amount of, like, booths and tables and, hey, you want a booth? You want a yep. table? Like, so, like, they all generally have that same exact setup. They usually have very accessible bathrooms. I just want to note that. Yeah, and some of them are, aren't bad. Yeah, they're not crappy. Some of them are not because crappy. Because it's like, no, this is a restaurant. Right. They're not, like, if you go to McDonald's bathrooms, like, mm, I, you don't know, but... But I just always thought that they they like they have Quinn this like bathrooms. very prototypical layout, and then there's the theme. Yes, as me and Joe like to say, the shit on the walls, right? A they, lot of they these always, places are a shit they, on the they walls. They always place. have some shit all over the walls, right? Yes. Like I remember Ruby Tuesdays, for example, right? Oh, back in the day, yeah. They would have like a lot of you couldn't tell, but I felt it was like movie memorabilia and like all sorts of weird, like memorabilia of, of some kind, right? Yeah. Like old things. Right. And I remember they had Dorothy's Ruby slippers, which definitely weren't the original. No, they're somewhere else, but they just had them like on the wall, like <laughs> yeah. maybe a picture of the wizard of Oz next to it. Like, but like, this is the kind of nonsense that would be yes. all littered throughout these places. I remember Applebee's, for example, would have, they, 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 who, whatever the local high schools in the vicinity, yeah, they'd, have oh, a, yeah. they'd have a couple of like pictures of like, and these were real because I, I recognize some of the kids on the wall sometimes where I was like, oh, wait, those are in my class or yeah. whatever, right? And he'd be like, championship soccer team, you know, <laughs> 1997, you know, and then they like, keep it up for 15 yeah, years, it'd be you know? up forever. But, <laughs> but the point is, it's like, like Applebee's kind of that like family, like yeah. it's local. We're, we're local. We're local. Like, we're like, in your neighborhood. The, there's an Applebee like five seconds later. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's like five seconds down the road. Different anyway, Applebee. but like the point is they always have like a theme to them. They do. And it's all to contribute to that casual folksy atmosphere. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, and then the bar is always solid at all of these places. I've I'll noticed. The bars, they, you can they always like rely a, on the bar. They have like everything. Yeah, like, the bars are always they're good. They're fully stocked bars. These are not like crap bars. Yeah, the like, bars are usually very, very good, right? Yeah, yeah. You can ask for any drink. They know what it is. Not to you mention, know? some of them, in some locations, the bars will be open past when the dining is open. That's true. Sometimes the dining room will close at, let's say, 12, and the bars open until 2. Yeah, they'll, they'll stay open to like real bar hours. Yeah, and exactly. that's, that, I always thought that was interesting. I think they're, so, too. Yeah. 
Uh, and a lot of these places have a similar menu. Uh, obviously, the cuisine varies and the specialties vary. But you get your appetizers, you know, your mozzarella sticks and things yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> Potato skins or whatever. And then a lot of burgers, a lot of chicken sandwiches, you know. You get entrees sometimes. But it depends on the place, But though. it depends on the place, yeah. and we'll talk about that. But the general feel is the same in all of these places. Right. One of the most popular ones uh, to this day, one of the most widespread ones, is TGI Fridays, uh, just known as Fridays, I think, at certain points. Uh, thank goodness it's Fridays, what right. it stands for. It's two for 20 time at Fridays, which means any two people can come to Fridays and for only $20, you get one appetizer like our spicy buffalo wings, two delicious entrees or specialties like the herb grilled chicken or shrimp Fridays, plus one unbelievable dessert like the mocha mud pie. And this was founded by Alan Stillman out of New York City, out of Manhattan in 1965, if you're Mm -hmm. playing along for the dates. We're not doing these in any particular order, by the way. And the concept here was, believe it or not, a singles bar for hmm. women in particular. Why just, that seems like, well, why, would, why would you cut your scope to just 50% of the population? I think part of it is he lived nearby a, uh, an apartment building that had a bunch of um, airline uh, stewardesses okay. and things like that. I guess he came to this realization that there wasn't really a safe place uh, at this time in the mid-60s that was kind of accessible and fam- and friendly for women to go to, you know? Oh, well, that's a, a noble goal. There was some right? nobility in it. So what this guy, Alan Stillman, did is he purchased a, a bar that he went to called The Good Tavern. Yeah? Good! On 63rd Street, and he renamed it TGI Fridays, and uh, the focus here was American-style cuisine, like we mentioned. Yep. Bar food, and of course, the bar itself was a big draw. Now, I'll tell you this, from my perception of TGI Fridays, it, the theme seemed to be, it's a party, well, right? Yes. It's like, it, it's the end of the week. Everyone looks forward to Friday. Even if you went on Tuesday, it's Friday over here, right? <laughs> We're having a good time, right? It's Friday every every day, right? Yeah, That's exactly. the whole point. Yeah. And you're right. It became popular in the 60s. He was already franchising two years in. Right. Two years in, he was franchising. I'll say this about TGI Fridays. There's never been one that I didn't think was like pleasant to be at. They're like, fine. They're, they're fun, right? It's they're, like, I, I I think the theme actually like works over there. I'm fine with it. You know, Fridays yeah. is, is one of the stereotypical ones to me. Right. Uh, and I know that this is not just in the United States. I know they have them elsewhere, so... And you guys in the UK that listen to us in Australia and Canada and New Zealand, perhaps, uh, I know you have your own restaurants. We're trying to do like a wide net here with ones that are everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, because there's ones that are exclusive to certain countries. Right. But Fridays, I think, is one of those stereotypical, you know what you're going to get. Right. Maybe those the potato wedge those things. Those potato wedge things, a decent burger. Yeah. Good bar, mm-hmm. right? Maybe some chicken fingers and fries and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I've always kind of liked Fridays. By the way, it became the family-friendly one that we think of today in the 70s, like throughout the 70s. It didn't take very long, apparently. didn't take that long, especially by the 80s. By the time they were franchising, it's like, we can't just be like a women's place. We have to be for everyone, Exactly. Kids, men, women, girls and boys, right? Old folks, whatever you want. Dogs and cats. Dogs and cats. Yeah, pets welcome. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Another popular one, too, is Chili's. It's just not Chili's till you light up the grill, and that means steaks, like our new Solano Strip Steak and new Steak Pico, smothered with onions, bell peppers, and two kinds of cheese. Chili's is um, is it very popular outside the U.S.? I think it is, right? I would I would hope so because it's delicious. I think Chili's is pretty yeah. good. I think I like Chili's more than Fridays, Quinn. Yeah. What about you? Do you have a preference? I like Chili's a lot because Chili's is like a southwestern menu. Mm-hmm. Tex-Mex. It, it's like Tex-Mex, but it's also just generic enough so it doesn't feel like exotic. 
So correct, you, which I always thought was it lended itself. You could take kids there, and there's nothing too like yeah, that they're not used that they're not used to like eating. Yeah, it's just regular. You know, like stuff. so it was very ex- to me. Chili's was like, believe it or not, I felt like the most well rounded personally. Hmm. You could get a steak dinner there, or you could get fajitas. You could. You, it didn't matter. Just get like chips. Yeah, and salsa. You, whatever you were in the mood for, they seemed to have, and their um, margaritas were great. Yeah, they even their margaritas are very good. Actually, they're tasty. They right? actually are good. Yes, like, Chili's is still to this day. I have one in walking distance. Which you is, do. Which if I'm like that ain't a bad Chili's. Yeah, either. it's a pretty good Chili's. If I'm like really like if I'm with a friend or something. I don't feel like cooking. You want to just like walk across the street to the Chili's. I just love it because it's it, fine, it, there's right? never anything I don't want there. Yeah. And like the the drinks are great because uh, you're drinking too. You can walk home. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, there you go, Clint. You can have as many beers as you want. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, do you want to hear how it was founded? Because I sure. can tell you. A guy named Lyra Levine mm-hmm. in Dallas, so Texas, lines up actually. 1975. So Chili's is younger uh, than Friday's. And his idea... And I'd say he played it out very nicely. Was an informal place with a full service wait staff and bar focused on burgers and Texas food with a Southwestern motif. Well, they nailed it. He They're nailed still doing it, right? Yeah. They're still doing it. Now, and Chili's doesn't have 800 things on the wall either, which is nice. No, they're a little classier with their wall choices, Quinn. It's they're true. a little more discreet They're just about like, it. this is Tex-Mex. <laughs> like, that's what it is. Take it or leave take, it. Take it or walk out, please. <laughs> yeah, walk home. Uh, by the early 80s, they had already opened 28 locations and then obviously continued to explode in popularity. Today, there are uh, 1,600 or so locations, a popular restaurant. And uh, who could forget the Baby Back Ribs jingle? I want my baby back, 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 baby 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 back, baby back, baby baby back, baby back, baby Applebee's. Whoa, looking for something that's too good to be true? Well, Applebee's Neighborhood Grill and Bar is serving up some terrific combos, each just $7.99. Like riblets and steak, it's too tasty. Or riblets and grilled chicken, too tantalizing. Applebee's. The, these are like the big three, I feel like, in the in this space, are they not? You know what? I'd say in 2023 they are, because yeah, some of the other ones went top, under. They're top tier. Um, I think so, but I've never been the biggest fan of it. Probably not my favorite. I've always thought part of... <laughs> I feel like I'm biased a little bit because I feel like Applebee's came to the area the latest. It did. Chili's and, and TJ Friday's kind of ruled the roost around oh, the roost my, was being ruled. my location. No, you're right, Quinn. And then Applebee showed up. And at first, I wasn't sure what to make of it because I was like, who the hell are these people? <laughs> but I don't know. Like, it's fine. Yeah. Like, they're going for the local neighborhood. That was their vibe. focus. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. The one by us. Not a good one, or it wasn't historically anyway. I, so, I had uh, some cold, yeah, chewy things there, man. Inter- you know what's interesting about that is that I've heard Crapplebees. people. I've heard people have bad stories. Personally, believe it or not, like don't believe me if you don't want to. I want but to. I want to. I have never really had a bad experience at that specific Applebee's. Really? I know ne- people that have gotten like dysentery I've from there. I've had bad right? experience at other Applebee's, but not that one. Not this Applebee's with, yeah. the, with the high school uh, soccer team on it or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Seriously, like, I've never... The wow. drinks have been decent. The, the fries are always pretty dang good over there. There was a period of time where they had these uh, garlic fries. I don't think yeah. they do anymore. It was probably about 15 years ago. They were delicious. The burgers are fine. Like, and and yeah, all fine. the other stuff is great. It's uh, all fine. If it's not chewy and like some yeah. depending on who's in the kitchen at some of these places that we need to mention, even though the menu is consistent, even within your same restaurant, 
it is not always consistent quality. Because the, the cook staff changes. Yeah, it changes. Everything changes, right? Now, we should touch on the cooking for one second. Go ahead, Quinn. Um, a lot of this stuff is pre-prepared at a facility and just microwaved at the... That's like the illusion. I know that. Yeah, microwaved or at least put on some type of yeah, hot Yeah, maybe surface. put on the grill after it gets back. Right, put it on a lamp. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Times are tough. So it, it, it's to have uniformity just like a McDonald's or something. Yeah, I it's mean, like essentially, we were saying about the whole distribution system. Yeah, essentially it's the uniformity of regular dining food, like not fast food, right? Correct. Like it's, hey, we have to figure out how to make steaks the exact same way in every location. Right, whether, whether we're in Davenport, Iowa. And what I do find interesting, Joe, is that I wonder what is Quinn? like they do ask if you want it medium or rare. Do they have like pre, like how do they like arrange well, I don't that? No. Or like do they have cook times or something like specifically for like why is it always, because when I ask for medium rare, it's always like this exact kind of medium rare. I, I, I would wager that certain things they have to make there and they are yeah. delivered frozen and they, yeah. they heat them up. But yeah, I, sure we have people i am positive of it that we have people listening that have worked at any of these establishments or similar uh maybe on the cooking line maybe uh, on the wait staff let us know your stories let us right. know your good ones and your bad ones because this that's going to be fun in the fallout of this episode is hearing people's stories people that worked i'm sure we're going to hear oh these. this guy used to spit in everyone's right. food and all we that we want to hear about yeah, it yeah. though on Twitter at AWM Podcast and join our group. Uh, but Applebee's, to go back to them, they were founded in Atlanta, Georgia by Bill and TJ Palmer. And this one, they were late to the game overall as well in 1980. That makes sense why the expansion took longer. Correct. Uh, and their vision was to create a restaurant that had a neighborhood pub feel to it. That's what it has. Could offer friendly service along with quality fare at a lower price than most of their competition. Now, I will say... I haven't been out in a while, but I did find them to be a little bit cheaper than Fridays and Chili's. That's the other thing, too. Yeah, they do have a cheaper menu. Right? A little bit. And I wonder if a lot of that has to do with their trying to appeal to the families. And, you know, when you take a family out, it costs more money. Yeah. So if everything's cheaper, it's a it's a huge plus. Because <laughs> you, 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 you do go there. And I don't know if you've taken your family there, Joe. No. But there's a lot of other Not families. Allowed to. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of other families there. Yes, there usually. are. Yes, there are. You know? They're allowed. <laughs> yeah. There's a place where all people come together to enjoy friends and the good food of life. It's got to be Applebee's. The Applebee's went well because they opened in 1980. By 1989, the end of the decade, they had opened their 100th restaurant already. So wow. things were going well. And then by the 90s, Quinn, they were one of the largest sit-down restaurant chains they, in the United States. They exploded in the 90s. They went yeah. from who is this to like, <laughs> they were like everywhere. So they did take over the neighborhood. See? Yeah. They did it. They were in every neighborhood. Yeah, and they still are. 1,700 yeah. of them yeah. throughout the world right now. Another one that has kind of a sadder ending. I mean, it's still in business, but this one, Quinn, unfortunately, uh, I feel is a case of, uh, of missed potential here. Ruby Tuesday. Ruby Tuesday. It's a brand new Tuesday. I feel like Ru the problem with Ruby Tuesdays is what's the first thing you think of as far as like their competition is concerned? Fridays? Yes. Yeah. Why would you do that? Like right well, off the right off the jump. Because of the day of the week thing? Yeah, like it's immediately like is this just the same thing? Like, why does this even exist? <laughs> you know what I mean? Call like stinky Sundays or something yeah, like that. Yeah. But you know, you're right. Well, I never thought of the day of the week thing. That's a good point. 
was named after that Rolling Stone song, Goodbye Ruby Tuesday. Although, what's funny is I hadn't heard the song, you know, as a kid. I knew yeah. the restaurant. You and know, how, that's how you know it was founded by a baby boomer. Uh, I, would, I would think so, yeah. 1972, yeah. Sandy Beale III right, right. out of Knoxville, Tennessee. They did well in the 70s. Throughout the 70s, a new location was opening uh, every nine months or so, so they were doing good. Now, what was interesting about Ruby Tuesday is they changed their branding a couple of times in our lifetime. So the stereotypical classic Ruby Tuesdays that you and I think of, the dark one that we had in our mall, the old school Ruby Tuesdays of the 80s and 90s that maybe some of you guys grew up with, it was kind of dim. They had these faux Tiffany lamps. Yeah. It had this bar and grill feel to it. Very, very informal. And then around 2007 or so, they changed their branding to have... They reduced all of the shit on the walls aspect of everything, right? Right. They changed out the old decor. They upscaled and streamlined everything, and they focused more on the quality of their food and de-emphasized the bar and grill aspect. The new triple prime burger, Ruby Tuesday. And I really liked that version from like the late... Yeah, like I'm talking towards the end of the Bush administration into the Obama administration around that time. Yeah, I think I know where they were a little more sleeker or whatever. Yeah, their fries got really good and they just, they changed some things around. I feel like it was too little too late because the, the, the issue was that, like I said, I really feel like... You think it's the name? No, not just the name. By the time we got to the 2000s, the 90s was like a huge explosion for all these you can tell yeah it really felt like applebee's fridays chilies and chilies just kind of like pushed out there was no room for anyone else you, as you far as these so. big as far as that kind of food really for these kind of restaurants well i guess i guess when like, we're talking about these four restaurants that we've mentioned they're all american cuisine i mean i know that chilies is more on the text yeah. side but it's still the same thing but i mean i would argue the another one that got pushed out here and i'm sure we're going to talk about it but i feel like ruby tuesday falls under the same problem as bennigan's bennigan's food and fun for humans for the record, to button up Ruby Tuesday, uh, they filed for Chapter 11 in 2020. Obviously, the pandemic exacerbated the problems they were already having. Are they going to use the bankruptcy to kind of get their house in order and I think restart? So. Like, is, I think that, so. is that the plan? Protect their asses, if you will, and their assets. And, I mean, uh, like Macy's does that. Yeah. All, like, every 20 years, that's like the Macy's way. And, and right? is that, Yeah, like all the department stores. <laughs> like, when they declare bankruptcy, everyone makes a big deal of it. I'm like, oh, just mark your calendar. Like, that's <laughs> like what they always do that. It's like, true. Uh, we're uh, not well, going anywhere. <laughs> They've still got 200 uh, or yeah. so locations, and maybe some of you have never eaten at a Ruby Tuesday, and all I'm saying is in 2007 or 2008, you should have, if you didn't, because they were good. Uh, Bennigan's, Quinn mentioned. So Bennigan's, if you don't know, because again, this is one where there's very few open. I'll I'll, I'll spoil it for you. There's yeah. only 25 open <sighs> That's a anymore. Because I, I really like Bennigan's. Now, I remember you being Mr. Bennigan. Because their burgers are incredible. Were they? Like, they were great. They were, like, they were. infused with A1 or something. Like, they did, and, and, did they have the A1? They so, had the Guinness burger. Or Guinness. Sorry, the Guinness. But they were infused with a thing. And, like, the only <laughs> other time I've seen that is, like, when Burger King sometimes does it. They do the A1. Like, yeah, like. But or like, peanut butter or whatever Burger King does. Bennigan's had some killer burgers and like to be quite honest with you i always like the theme of bennigan's the irish pub it's an irish pub yeah that's what it is irish pub but still sit down like still yeah it's decent, still a regular right? restaurant right yeah it's just the theme they just it's say not, that I, I always thought they did them doesn't mean anything i always think they did the mix well <laughs> what mix <laughs> of, of pub but also restaurant because a lot of places can't get that right wait, wait, wait. 
How did they get it wrong? Because you can go too pubby. Now, like, what? like, you know what I'm saying? How is it too? How can it be too pubby? I just want to know, like, what? Well, I'd be you got a rowdy into. bar, oh. and it, it's like mo- most of the it, it takes up most of the place. And they're like, watching it, the footy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you don't want to be way too pub esque. But on the other side, you could do too little pub. Yeah, like a publet. Yeah. And you don't want just a public. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, that's that's no good. Where the you're crammed yeah. into a phone yeah, booth yeah, next yeah. to some guy. No good. Right? No good. Drinking a juice. Anyway, Norman Brinker is the one that uh, founded Bennigan's, and Norman Brinker was also involved in uh, Jack in the Box. He was the president. Okay. Steak and Ale, and he founded Brinker International, which owns a bunch of restaurants. I feel like you're going to tell me he also owned Cheers because when I thought of Bennigan's, I always thought of Cheers. He did not own the Bull and Finch Pub, uh, yeah. which is now known, I guess, as Cheers, and they rename it. They should have. I, years, I don't know why they didn't do it in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, well, at least the 90s, at least right? The show was popular. That's a good point. Yeah, Brinker, by the way, I guess we should just cover them briefly. They're one of those uh, conglomerates. You know how a lot of restaurants are owned by like one big company now? Yeah. So Brinker actually owns Quinn Chili's mm-hmm. and uh, Maggiano's Little Italy. So he doesn't care what happens to Bennigan's if he's got Chili's. No, and just... <laughs> And just wait. Well, that's a good point. But Bennigan's, yes. Poor Bennigan's. Well, listen, 1976 in Atlanta, if you're curious. And like Quinn said, the the thing here. So we got our Tex-Mex and our American. This was an Irish pub. Yeah. That was the theme. Except it wasn't really an Irish pub. It was a Mm -hmm. restaurant with a bar in it. It could have said Hurley's on the front. Yeah. It could have said McDowell's on the front. it said Bennigan's. It said Bennigan's. And they did have the Guinness Burger, which was tasty. That was why I would go there. Like, I was like, this is so good. I don't, why is this nowhere to be, you can't get it anywhere else. Their marketing was also very convincing, uh, from what I recall. It, it made you feel like if you went there, you were just going to have a great time. Yeah, it that did. was the other thing. The I marketing never, was good. I, I always got good drinks there. Yeah, like good. everything was good there. I don't. It was so depressing to me, like when it started to close down. Yeah, I mean, their highest point was probably the early to mid '80s. Uh, they yeah. were still popular when we were kids, but all of the U.S. locations closed in 2008. Right. That was uh, that was one that happens. There was a big economic recession, as mm-hmm. you know, around that time. Think you have to be famous to get special treatment? At Bennigan's, everyone gets it. But today, there are 25 Benigai open, so... It's unfortunate. Maybe one day we'll get one near us again, yeah. Quinn. Maybe we need to get in the car and go find where where, <laughs> yeah. where where one is near us. And I got an even more unfortunate one for you. This one we used to have uh, over on Highway 18 over here, mm-hmm. and I loved this place, believe it or not. Uh, it was known as Chi-Chi's. Chi-Chi's! With our new celebration sampler, there's a dozen ways to celebrate. That's like a gut punch. Mexican-themed restaurant. <sighs> Chi-Chi's was unbelievable. Yeah, like, It was so good. Chili's did Tex-Mex, kind right. of, and mm-hmm. Southwestern, kind of. Chi-Chi's really went for more on the Mexican. Went full-blown, yeah. this is Mexican food. South of the border But it stuff. was a sit-down, like, it was like a it nice. Taco Bell. It was like a nice, like, cantina style, I think, is what it was going, like. Or, kind of, yeah, yeah. Like, kind of like on the border. I don't know why, but I very specifically remember the way the tables were laid out there was like, you had like a window, and like, it was like yeah. these nice like dark wood tape like yes it, it, it felt, felt felt like a home yeah, or something and it had this weird like like living room foyer yes. or something like in the center and like, the outside was like a yellow yeah yellowish it, but it, it looked cool yeah and and it was laid out that way on the inside too which yeah. was just it was it was very cozy 
I loved that. I remember Chinkies, it had like man. a bar like in the corner, but yeah. it was small. But it wasn't too little pub, right? It was actually littler. <laughs> but it was more like they would come to your chair and stuff and deliver was the, the food to you. Was the balance still right? The balance was great. Okay, just making sure. The Chi-Chi's was so under... Their chips were like insane. Their good. chips and salsa were amazing. It was, it was so good you could buy the yes. salsa at the store. I know. They had like a side business. It was a great time. Yeah. For a limited time, 450 buys you an incredible meal. First, dip into all the fresh homemade chips and salsa you want. Then, sink your appetite into our famous chicken or ground beef chimichanga. Served up crisp, flaky, and hot. This is a Mexican and Tex-Mex themed restaurant, as we mentioned. So, of course, it was founded in Richfield, Minnesota. What? So, Maybe they really wanted that up there. They were like, we want... Somebody, like, took a trip down, down the... You know, by the border one summer. And they came back and they are like... Damn it, I just want that food now. I guess so. Why is this not everywhere? <laughs> and that man's name was Marno McDermott. Yep. Uh, who's I'm white. in my head cannon, that's what happened. Yeah. He went on he went on vacation in Mexico and he came back and he had a craving. Like <laughs> And his wife's nickname, by the way, was Chi Chi. That's where yeah. this came from. He was visiting relevant relatives. Uh, maybe he was. Uh, his partner that founded this was Max McGee, a former Green Bay Packer, so I bet I no see. one expected that. Now what happened at Chi Chi's is very sad. They had a hepatitis A outbreak in late 2003. Oh, no, I remember that now. When we were seniors in high school. Yeah. Certainly this is the last kind of publicity a restaurant wants, especially one that is already financially troubled. Chi-Chi's recently filed for reorganization under Chapter 11 bankruptcy, but the experts say when a public health issue and a restaurant's reputation come together like this, prompt action is vital. Four deaths and 600 plus cases of hep A because of chi-chi's and whatever they was going found on. at fault meaning like that they didn't I don't know like inspect their food or something like, I don't know the situation yeah all I know is that a that's horrible for all yeah. the people involved obviously but I was sad because I really liked chi-chi's I think everyone was sad for the loss of the chips that was like honest thing, like yeah. yeah today there is one location Quinn Really? In Vienna, Austria. So if you're ever in the neighborhood, Damn. you can go to Chi-Chi's. Imagine they Quinn got the going- Roy Rogers set up over <laughs> yeah. there where it's like this one company that services this one restaurant I'm just picturing, in the world. <laughs> picturing Quinn finally going to Europe, finally going on the vacation, going to Austria. That's the reason to go to <laughs> yeah. Vienna. Like, I'm going to Chi-Chi's. Yeah. Where- <laughs> I don't need no wiener schnitzel. I'll walk up to the hotel person. Sir, where is the Chi-Chi's? <laughs> You get out my country. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck out of here. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we got more restaurants to talk about, but why don't we take a rest? Why don't you guys restore? On the other side of this break, a few more popular chains of past and present, and we'll talk about what happened and what is happening with the casual dining industry when more Acid Wash Memories returns right after this. Wow, that's a lot of shrimp. At Red Lobster, for a limited time, enjoy 30 shrimp for just $9.99. What sounds good to you folks tonight? 30 shrimp, please. Great choice. With lemon pepper shrimp, succulent scampi, delicious grilled shrimp, and our famous fried shrimp. That's four different kinds. 30 shrimp on one plate, just $9.99, at only one place. Only at Red Lobster. And kids get shrimp, too. A complete meal, just $1.99. TGI Fridays has introduced gourmet pizzas, and I have just the way to show them to you. Great combinations like very veggie pizza or... 
barbecue chicken pizza, or Friday's Name Your Own Pizza with your choice of toppings. For me, it's pepperoni, mushrooms, and fresh peppers. Ooh, instant replay. Fast forward. Proof that Friday's new gourmet pizzas are gonna be great. Guaranteed. The first time he went out, I made him take me to Chili's. Oh, yeah, it was great. We ordered the baby back ribs. Oh, they were so good. Uh, actually... Tender baby back ribs with the spicy barbecue sauce. Uh, Cindy... Oh, and those cinnamon apples. And afterwards, he did the cutest thing. He ordered dessert with two spoons. It was so perfect. <laughs> uh, Cindy, that wasn't me. I knew that. I was just, uh, testing you. Oh, really? How'd I do? Very well. Good. I was worried. Yeah, so was I. Yeah, I'd like 6,000 chicken fajitas, please. And now we return to more acid-washed memories. And welcome back for a second helping here of nope. Acid Wash Memories, a retro pop culture celebration episode 21. This is Joe Murata. I'm dining with Michael Quinn. Hi. How's your meal? Bone appetite. <laughs> Bone apple teeth. Yeah. How's your meal going there, Michael? Good? It's perfectly average, just like these places. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, folks, we hope you find us at least perfectly average, if not better. And if you do, please leave us a review, hopefully a good one, on <laughs> your podcast app of choice, maybe Apple Podcasts or whatever the case may be. And also remember, Follow us on Twitter at AWM Podcast and join our group because we are eating good in this neighborhood, Michael. Yes. Quinn, uh, one of the most popular to this day is Outback Steakhouse. Yeah, it's the steak place. Yeah, the steak place. But it's Aussie. Yeah, it's very Australian. Outback Steakhouse. No rules. Just right. Now, this was founded in March of 1988 by a bunch of people and became very popular in the 90s, and it still is. And it's Good not food just right, as they say. Yeah, but do, the do, 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 do. Crikey. <laughs> the thing about it is, you know what's Australian-themed about it? The decor and the name, but it's not Australian food. No. It's an American steakhouse <laughs> that they just are literally crocodile dundeeing this thing. <laughs> to be like, oh, mate, you can get the bloomin' onion well, and all that. said a lot of people founded it. Did Crocodile Dundee was he involved? Paul Hogan might have been there. Yeah. He might have been Maybe there. Maybe that's, it's like, that's what we should do, do the theme. <laughs> but shit, this is seriously as Australian as the Subaru Outback. You yeah. know what I'm saying? They serve Fosters. Yeah, I think they do. <laughs> they have to, they right? Have to. Like, they, that would be insane if so, they didn't. I mean, because Fosters is Australian That should be beer. like the house that should be what's on tap is yeah. Foster's. It should be free, actually, yeah. if you ask me. I agree. Let's write a letter to our freeholder. Mm -hmm. What do they do again? No. We don't We don't know. The same thing that <laughs> the other government people do. Okay. Well, the Outback Steakhouse does the same thing that a lot of these restaurants does in that it gives you a good or decent food for affordable prices. However, they focus on steak, clearly. Mm -hmm. And that's the first one that we've mentioned. It's not the only one uh, that focuses on steak. And I've been there, and their steaks are okay. They're decent. They right. have big ones, don't they? They do have big ones, yeah. Isn't that like their claim to fame? It's like you can get like a real big steak. Like a 40 here. ounce or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you can get like a local steakhouse style steak, but at a chain, right? Correct. But their biggest claim to fame these days is the highly caloric, very unhealthy, but very tasty Bloomin' Onion. Yeah. A Bloomin' Onion. Good on you, mate. I've tried this once and I did not like it, and I know that people adore it like it's the best it's like the best or something i mean i haven't had they, one they absolutely <laughs> love this thing i don't even know how long it's been it's probably yeah. been 15 or more years since mm -hmm. i had a blooming onion but good lord was it delicious the last yeah. time i did and i'm sure some of you out there still love that blooming onion mate crikey yeah. you know crikey stop it mate we don't talk like that but anyway it's not really australian it's just it's steaks 
It's just branding. This is just marketing. Well, for our Aussie audience, is the Bloomin' Onion like a thing at every uh, local pub? In, in <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that what everyone has? This is the Bloomin' Onion? Actually, in Australia, when you lose your first tooth and you put it under your pillow, when you wake up the next day, there's a Bloomin' Onion under there. Oh, really? Yeah, and a kangaroo foot. It's, That'll it's make your thing. teeth fall out even faster. <laughs> kangaroo foot or the onion? The, the Bloomin' Onion. Either way. Who knows what's in that? <laughs> there's so many ingredients in it. Yeah, I think there's like three pages of ingredients. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, the reason their marketing was brilliant, in my opinion, though, Quinn, is because it worked on me as like a 10-year-old because I would see the commercials. I'm like, oh, Outback Steakhouse. That sounds so fancy. I want to go. It sounds exotic. Right? Yeah. Because, uh, and the guy's in Australian. Every, in everywhere but Australia. <laughs> right? right? It's like, <laughs> it really does because Australia, like, it's a very large continent, but, you know, a lot of people don't live there either. Yeah, it's, especially it, not the northern part. Yeah. Right? Seriously. Yeah, no, it's it's it's... Uh, from my, outback, underst- from my understanding, it's it's not super populated on the interior. You know, a lot of people don't have the experience with Australian food and cuisine I, and everything. I couldn't tell you Australian food. Mark Rourke, let us know. Uh, but I, I must imagine, Quinn, that all of the Aussies um, just sneered at any of us Americans being like, I'm going to Outback well, Steakhouse. You, I, what I wonder I would is, did Outback have the gall to open up Outback Steakhouses in Australia. Oh, I think they ex- uh, I think they exist in Australia. That and could did be wrong. they have the gall to market on top of it? Well, I'm sure. This is your local food, mate. Like, <laughs> we got it everywhere. They just have some American guy doing yeah, it. Like yeah. we're bringing the Amer- the Australian American dining back to Australia. Yeah, exactly. Some bullshit. Anyway, there's another steakhouse uh, that I've. I don't even know if I've been to Longhorn Steakhouse probably once. I, I always felt that was very reactionary outback. It was actually first. Was it? Yeah, it was in well, it, it wasn't everywhere until later, though. That's interesting. We didn't get one here until much later. Yeah. yeah. And there's only 500 open now. It's not as big. It's oh, not yeah, as big of a chain. Definitely not as big. And I didn't expect to see my ex-girlfriend dating Lou Ferrigno. Ah, Longhorn Steakhouse. Expect more from your steak. 1981 in Atlanta with George McCaro and his best friend, Brian. Uh, I thought you were going to say Mr. Longhorn or something. Yeah, Mr. Longhorn founded yeah. it. I would have thought it'd be founded in Texas, but it's, you know, because Longhorn and all yeah. that, but no. It's well, a steak, you know, those beef. Those, those beef. Those beef, you know, those beef farms those or whatever. beef farms. You know, it's, it's Texas thing, definitely. Now, this is now a Darden-owned restaurant, and speaking of Darden, we need to talk about Darden. Now, who's Darden? The, the, <laughs> I'll tell you later. The biggest uh, Darden-owned restaurant that you would probably know, well, here's some of the other ones. There's Seasons 52 is Darden-owned. Oh, boy. Bahama yeah. Breeze. Yeah, I know these places. Eddie V's Prime Seafood. Mm-hmm. Ruth Chris's Steakhouse. You've probably heard of that. That's more upscale. But uh, the biggest name, I think, in Darden ownership right now would be Olive Garden. Aha. They're, they're crown jewel, baby. Ask my family which Italian dishes are their favorites. They'd all agree. The Olive Garden's tour of Italy is three of the best. Olive Garden is an Italian, allegedly, an Italian restaurant. As a full-blooded Italian, Joe, you, yes, you, you have always talked with disdain about this place to me. Like, you don't like it. You know, here's the thing. <laughs> I don't dislike it. Yeah. I really don't dislike it. I just have always found, and they've gotten better. They had to these last 10 years. I always found their positioning of what they were serving and offering to be very misleading as Italian food. I see. Because there were periods of time where they were doing very non-Italian things like spring roll, like odd menu items. Oh, yeah. There was that period where they were trying to mix it up and put some weird stuff in the appetizers and stuff, right? And they had too many, yeah, and they had too many items. And they would right. do, like, 
vegetable lasagna with chicken on top of it. They were trying to do hybrid, basically. They're like, we have some Italian things, but what if we mixed it with this? Yeah, right? Like, yeah. But to me, that's just why just do Italian food well. Instead uh, let, of poorly doing let's, everything. Let's roll back for a second. Because what? the thing with Olive Garden, right, is as a kid, Olive Garden was one of the rare, super rare instances of a shit on the walls, you know, chain place. <laughs> yeah, but they, yes. Where people would like get dressed they up did. to go to this place. Like it was like fancy, right? You're 100% right, Quinn. Like what was the deal with that? Well, because it, it it really like in the late 80s and early 90s, that's like as a younger child and, you know, 8, 9 years old. Was this as fine a, dining to you? I couldn't even conceive of the fact that it was like a chain because of the way the adults reacted to going to this place. Yeah. Like that it was like there was some, that it was a step above even, you know, chilies or something. I think that had to do with the the eighties and nineties version, the version that we grew up with and probably many of our listeners. Uh, by the way, Olive Garden was founded in nineteen eighty two. So right. it was relatively new when we were kids. Right. That's when General Mills uh, owned it, by the way. General Mills mm. founded it. Orlando, Florida. But anyway, this version if you had ever walked into one, you would see the wait staff in almost very formal clothing. Yes. Like they, they dressed like this was a fine dining restaurant. Right. And the decor compared to your Applebee's and your Chili's and your Fridays. It was like nice. It was upscale. Yeah. Especially if you're a kid, you know, right. with perception and all that. And the way the tablecloths were white, they had tablecloths, by the way. Yes. Not just like the wood yeah, table. It was it was super weird. And then I remember also, like you walk in and, it, and you're waiting, right? And you'd see families in their Sunday best at this you, place. You did right? the Olive Garden. When you're here, your family. You see grandpa and grandma in their like finery. Like you'd be like, what's going on here? I used to go there with my grandparents all the time. Now my grandparents clearly, you know, uh, Italian as well, yeah. and they, I think, went there because it was close. Yeah, <laughs> it well, was that makes close sense. by, but they never minded the food. No, they were never complaining about the food. And I got to say, in the '90s, the Olive Garden's food was good. Uh, the Mediterranean shrimp scampi <laughs> Joe <laughs> we go. was 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 quite a meal that I loved in, they, in the '90s. They didn't lose their way until probably the later '90s, the early 2000s. Somewhere along the line, those breadsticks got worse. Remember, it was like yeah. a whole thing. Remember, when, like McDonald's changed the fries, or Burger King changed yeah, the fries. Yeah. Olive Garden changed the breadsticks. But I also noticed also past a, a certain point, this prestige or whatever it was with, with Olive Garden, it just evaporated. Part of that is self-inflicted because they kept expanding their menu to stupid lengths. They kept doing dumb themes that were really stupid. They were throwing money out the window with their never-ending pasta, their unlimited salad and breadsticks. Yeah. So from a business standpoint, you could do a whole episode on what the Olive Garden did wrong in the 2000s. Yeah. It took a group of potential shareholders or investors or something to do like a 200-page PowerPoint about why they were losing money and horrible. And what's so interesting about that is that, again, they're one of the rare ones where I legitimately remember them being like on the top of the world. They were- In the early 90s. They were super prestigious. Like, you would go there on a Saturday, 
And there would be just like the entire parking lot was yeah, filled. Yeah. There was people waiting outside and like conversing and like there was <laughs> there was like little parties of people like talking and stuff and everyone's dressed up. It's and, true. Like this really was like this good that you you want an acid wash memory. That's one of them right there. Yeah. I mean, listen, I also wanted to make a distinction here for some of the people because we have people from all over the United States and other countries listening. Where Quinn and I live, just for the record, is here in New Jersey. We are in not the restaurant capital of the United States, but we're close to New York. Mm -hmm. Because of that, we also have a lot of local uh, restaurants, farm-to-table restaurants, high-end restaurants. But we also have a large variety of these kinds, We do. And we have our own non-chain casual places. Like, there's a place right up the road over here that I go to often. It's a casual place. But the point I'm trying to make is that there are some people that don't have these options, Quinn, mm-hmm. where Olive Garden, and I'm, this is not disparaging, but Olive Garden is the fancy Italian place right. in and certain I, parts of the country. And I guess I guess why it always surprised me is because we did live in that kind of area, and this place did have like did a well prestige here. about it. It did well here. I mean, I remember <laughs> like a pull-up where there was like a tarp over the front and like the cars could like pull in no. and drop people off. Oh yeah, 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 I do. I do. I know what you like, mean the drop it off. It was just little touches like this that this place seemed way a cut above, a right? A cut above than yeah. it was, right? And I I find it such a just such an interesting case of like what a fall from grace, right? Like because it it really really was very different than it most was. of these places. It, it was it was it was much different and until they started mismanaging and yeah. throwing a lot of money away and They've actually reduced all of that. They've st- started to get their act together, but it was very popular. Uh, my grandmother, for the record, she was fine with the restaurant. She could not stand those commercials, you know, the yeah. the when you're here, your family ones, because oh, yeah. of the acting. It was so bad. She <laughs> went, I hate these dumb commercials. Uh, but what impressed me as a kid, I think that was the first time I ever saw the waiter or the waitress with the pepper grinder. Yeah, they come to your and table with the cheese, and they, yeah, how much you want, sir? Yeah. Like, like again, like it's a classy right. restaurant. Eight-year-old me is like, holy shit, this is awesome, yeah. you know? This is my cousin Giorgio from Italy. Buongiorno. Word has it, he knows Italian food like nobody else. So I took him to the Olive Garden for an Italian feast. Right away, he wanted a tour of Italy. You know, one thing before we move on here, I just want to make it clear that we know we're not going to mention every restaurant that you're possibly thinking of, especially a certain pizza joint that was famous for being able to sit in there and everything, some kind of a hut that might be saved for a different episode. Don't worry, we didn't forget it. But there's others that we're simply either not going to think of, that we've never been to, or uh, just for timing reasons, we can't mention every single one. So please don't take it personally and let us know, of course, at AWM Podcast on Twitter and on our Facebook group, your favorite restaurants, the ones we didn't mention. And obviously, this is recorded at the exact same time as the rest of the episode. It's not dubbed in. Quinn is definitely still here with me. Now, another restaurant uh, in similar vein here to Olive Garden in that it was owned by Darden. It is not anymore. It divested from Darden in 2014. But a similar vein in the sense that one segment of the country is going to sneer at this as being a legitimate seafood place. I'm, of course, talking about Red Lobster. It's only on page four. I love Red Lobster. So if you're in New England, you're probably feeling the same way I do about Olive Garden. Right. So now you get it. Okay, just to, just on a start here, just so we know where I'm coming from. Yeah, where are you? Coming I from? personally think that the Red Lobster 
is one of the most underrated of, Red Lobster. Of, of these kinds. No, it isn't. Why? Why do I say that? Yeah, why do you? Because it has a super unique draw. Lobster. <laughs> we have lobster. The unique... Right? <laughs> like, it's just true, Joe. Like Look when there's seafood places all over. I understand that. But I can get quick just go near a body of water get, i can get lobster at any time of the year it's quick it's prepared <laughs> it's got the, the cup of the butter the lobster tails whatever i want lobster related they got it it's not garbage it's just lobster it's fantastic and it's tasty too listen i'm not gonna dispute any does it that. does it have the charm of some rusty place on Shack. LBI or yeah, something. Keyport. Absolutely not. But does it have the convenience of not having to go to the damn beach to get lobster? Yes. Hey, and, and by that token, I think the Red Lobster is very underrated. Why do you keep calling it the Red Lobster? Because it is the Red Lobster, Joe. <laughs> it's more than one. Uh, March of 1968, by mm -hmm. the way. And you know what? You're going to like this because the founder, Bill Darden, by the yeah. way. Wow, this is Darden original. <laughs> Mr. Darden. <laughs> himself got his hands dirty on this yep. one. He said, I'm going to do this in Lakeland, Florida. Lakeland because Lakeland is not coastal. Gotcha. Like Tampa. So he thought the same thing I think about the place. <laughs> and uh, hey, it caught on. It became very popular in the 80s. Yeah. That's when the boom for Red Lobster started. Uh, into the Well into the 90s, all the commercials I remember seeing. To me, that's like such a, it really is a unique it's concept. A, it's a niche. When, when you think about it because of the fact that prior to that, you know, lobster was always like a rarity. A delicacy, like, it was perhaps. Like, a de like it, it's expensive. Outside of New England. And to be able to get it fresh. Yeah. You know, just on demand like that is kind of amazing. I mean, most supermarkets have it, but then you have to cook it yourself. Is right. What it's you're a saying, whole production. Right? You just go there, you order it, and it's done. You know? Now, one of their most popular menu items uh, was introduced in 1992. The Cheddar Bay Biscuits. People rave about good. these things. They are pretty good. I like them. <laughs> and of course, they have Shrimp Fest every year. Yeah. Don't forget Shrimp Fest. Oh, well, they have Lobster Fest, and they have too. Lobster Fest. Well, clearly, Quinn. Yeah. So if you're a lobster lover, don't hide. Go overboard for Lobster Fest at Red Lobster. That's the WrestleMania of, of Red Lobster <laughs> right there. I guess Shrimp Fest would be SummerSlam. Yeah. So Red Lobster in, in Olive Garden, uh, I guess they fill a similar but unique niche in here's a segment of cuisine yeah and you can now get it anywhere is that yeah. your basic thrust with this Quinn? that's my that and that's to me what the advantage of these places were was that depending on where you are in the country these are two segments that you may not have access to yeah and they're providing that and it's no wonder that these places are usually full because hey i'm in the mood for seafood or hey i'm in the mood for italian food and if you don't have those kind of restaurants, these are perfect. Yeah, that's a good point, Quinn. You know? Uh, that's fair. And again, we want to emphasize here, these still are casual dining, especially Red yeah, Lobster. Oh, definitely, yeah. It's casual dining, you know? Another specialty, and I just felt like this was worthy of a mention here, is a place known as Buffalo Wild Wings. Obviously a sports bar. Right. But it's maybe a little maybe 60-40 pub to restaurant ratio. It does have, like, areas to sit and stuff. Now, oh, yeah. Buffalo Wild Wings is super unique to me why is that quinn because it has a incredibly large floor meaning and what i mean by that is it, it literally has a floor with just like standing tables yes with gigantic tvs and it's like a sports bar a strictly 
wings menu with some fries. Yeah, wings, fries, sauces, yeah. and sports. That's yeah. what it's all about there. Uh, now, Buffalo Wild Wings is not unique anymore. There's also Wings Stop. But I think what made and still makes Buffalo Wild Wings so popular is football. Football, football, right? football. I mean, yes. really. Yeah. People go there to watch the game and eat wings. Football they, and wings go hand in hand. That that restaurant is so busy during football season. And, and the Super Bowl, Clearly. it's just nutty. In there. Yeah, I wouldn't even try. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would not even try. Yeah. There's a couple of, um, I want to call them the upscale marketed competitors to Olive Garden and to Red Lobster. They are Carabas, mm-hmm. Italian girl. You've probably heard of them, maybe been there. Yeah, I feel like Carabas, the portions are way too big for some weird reason. Take it home. They're insanely large at Carabas. I was always turned off by this. It's, it's possible to give somebody too much food, and they do it. <laughs> Carabas like, does yeah, it? Well, like, they're Italians. Like, a real Italian yeah. would give you too much food. Yeah. Yeah, manja, manja, yeah. more, you know. Uh, December 86 in Tampa, Florida. Mm-hmm. Was bought by Bloomin' Brands. You can guess whose company that is. Bloomin' Brands, Quinn. Outback Steakhouse. Outback Steakhouse. Really? Yeah, bought them out. Their sister restaurant, which, again, I feel is a competitor to Red Lobster in this case, Bonefish Grill. Right, Bonefish. I actually, can I tell you the truth, Mike? Yeah. January 2000, by the way, in Tampa, also owned by Bloomin'. I actually really like Bonefish Grill. It's all right. I really it's, like it. It is. It's, a, it's an all right alternative. <laughs> to the Red Lobster? To the, the Red Lobster, <laughs> yes. It, the Red Lobster has no competitor, Joe. I think it, it has it, several. It, it is the Red Lobster. Um, I like it, Bonefish, man. They're good fish. Yeah, Bonefish the, the is one just... Over here. Bonefish doesn't specialize in lobster, I think. They're, they're general no, seafood, it's fish. right? It's yeah. in name, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess, though, Quinn, Bonefish holds a special place in my heart because my third date with my now wife was there. I remember the, this, and I remember that you've, you've gone to Bonefish since. Well, yeah, it's been a long, long time, but we have. Yeah. Because she... She was like, I don't eat meat, and she does now. She didn't at the time. So I was like, well, what about Bonefish? I had never been there. I just didn't. I wanted things to go well. It seemed nicer than yeah. taking her to the Red Lobster. Yeah, though. I'm not going to. Well, that, maybe that's a fourth date type yeah. of place, Gwen, the Red Lobster. It's it's a fantastic place, Joe. Oh, I know. But it was after this date that you said one of your more famous lines in our lore, which is, uh, how are things going with that Alexandria? Yeah. And the reason that's funny is because that's not my wife's name. <laughs> she was a new girlfriend. I didn't. I, I wasn't. You, I wasn't keeping track. You pulled a Quinnism yeah. where you just like pulled a name out yeah. of your ass, yeah. and I like when you do that, like the Red Lobster. Uh-huh. Here's some more honorable mentions. We'll just uh, talk about them a little bit. Denny's. Denny's. So this what, is a bit of an oddball, Quinn. I I kind of think Denny's is cool because I think the concept of okay, there's not diners everywhere in the country, that's, right? What if we just made a diner like a like a chain? That's what it is. It kind of works. It works in the sense that they're uniform. Yeah. I don't think that Denny's is very good. No. No, it <laughs> absolutely is not. It's where you go when is. you're drunk. <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah. but boy oh boy did they capitalize on that because that Denny's is open till like four in the morning or something insane. I think it's just twenty four hours, Quinn. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's I what think it ours is. Ours is twenty four hours because there is people there after the bars close. Creatures, right? Like they, they are like, oh no, I need to, I need to, yeah. I need to come down from wearing from, galoshes. Yeah, I need to come down from the bar. Coffee's need, just a sedative at that point. I feel like Denny's, the coffee should just be free. Right, because because it's like it's like they're gonna get you for other stuff anyway. It's just, yeah. and the coffee's garbage. 
It's all. I maybe we just have a bad Denny's, but I I do not have any real like, good experiences there. But I'm Quinn sure is there's right. people that are like, no, the Denny's coffee because it's what takes them out of their hangovers. Oh, maybe. Like, maybe. so they're like, no, 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 that's that's good. Coffee. I need that. It's got to be pure shit. <laughs> yeah. to get me out of this one, right? In case you guys are curious, uh, Denny's actually started as Danny's Donuts in 1953. Yeah, that was a donut joint. It eh? was, and then in 1956, it was Danny's Coffee Shop, and then in 1959. Denny's coffee shop because they wanted to avoid confusion with some other Danny's that was nearby. Uh, and by 1961, it just became Denny's. Yes. Uh, and like Quinn said, it's expanded in the 70s and 80s. Like Quinn said, it's diner themed. And as such, the reason it's an anomaly is it doesn't have a bar. Right. So it isn't. So, so actually, do it's we not have, really like, a fact. Okay. You know, we haven't established on this show. Go do ahead. We, do we have to explain what a diner is? Because we live yeah. in Jersey. And there's diners freaking everywhere, but like they're not common elsewhere. It is not fast food. Let's right. be fair. But it's more of a, again, grease. I keep saying greasy spoon because that is a thing that people can relate to, especially right. in the UK and stuff. It's a place where there's usually a grill, yeah. like a, you know, a metal grill. You make sandwiches on there, burgers, very typical fare, a cheesesteak, breakfast, cheap. It's cheap, but it's sit down. It's sit down, and it's and it's not formal. It's, it's very much not formal. Very casual. You're usually in and out in a shorter amount of time than perhaps even at a casual dining nope. restaurant. It's people you, go there for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Correct. Like yep. it's not just one meal of the day kind right. of thing. A lot of them have a salad bar. Yeah, and your standard wraps, sandwiches, and the aunt. No one. Gets it. I mean, maybe you get the entree. I don't get the entree at a diner. Usually, you have normally. a waiter or waitress, like yeah. a real restaurant, but it's fast-ish. And sometimes you actually pay at the counter, yeah. like at the register, yeah. not at your table. Also, the menu is ultra diverse. Like it, it is, is, it is everything under the sun yep. that you could eat. The like one- you could get, you could get a filet mignon, or you could get gruel. Like it's just like <laughs> it, it really, it's real. Like they will yeah. make anything. That's they true. will make absolutely anything there and we have some good diners around here actually uh some more honorable mentions again this one is not uh this didn't have a bar either but i would be remiss and i don't want to be remiss quinn if we didn't mention sizzler if you're craving fire grill steak and succulent shrimp we've got it right here sizzler steak and shrimp spectacular starts at just (sighs) $8.99 i miss the sizzler now the the sizzler became the denny's yeah if you recall or maybe the ihop it it became one of them uh, by us Sizzler was a steakhouse uh, founded in 1958 in Culver City out in Los Angeles. In the 70s and 80s, it was rebranded into like a steak dinner place with a salad bar. Right. Sizzler was not quite, it was more like a uh, diner in terms of the, the business model. I would say it was diner-esque. It yeah. was more like a diner. It didn't have a bar. It wasn't a casual dining place. I mean, it was, ca- you know what I mean. It was a casual dining place, but it had a buffet in the 80s, which was the big draw. And it filed for Chapter 11 in 1996. To this day, there's some a, of them remained open. Only like, a hand, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was weird. You and I went all the way up to Rockaway to go to one. Remember that? Yeah, because you're like, remember the Sizzler? And then we, <laughs> we wandered up there to go find it. It was like 2008 or something, and it wasn't good. Yeah. It was a very bad Sizzler up there. I wasn't like, I, w- I didn't come out of it like this was horrible. I came out of it like that was just whatever that was sizzler yeah it was just okay like it it didn't really it wasn't those that was like i came up be like oh that was the worst thing i ever ate i thought you got a i think you got a lobster tail there i might have i think you did sizzler i always like to push these kind of places to their limits i I, i'm I'm a fan of that just get the lobster they they always get mad 
Like when what do you he, mean they get mad? Oh, some of them would get. I forget. I ordered something at a diner once that like upset them because it was going to take a while to make. What? It, it's real. What the hell? It was like late you... or something. I don't even remember what it was. Beef Wellington. It what, was like get a some, souffle. It was you... something that angered them. What could possibly anger them? I don't remember, but I I'll never do I it need again. To know this now. It made, it, but I, it was the kind of thing I used to do back then, where I, you know, when I was younger, troublemaker. I was Quinn. younger, and I was like, oh, I want to try everything, and I would just find like the dumbest, like fucking wisest on the menu, and you would get and it. It was like super expensive, but whatever. I want to see, and then they get mad at you. Yeah, yeah. Was it worth it? Yes. Okay. Uh, some more honorable mentions. We're not going to do a history on these, but just wanted to shout out some other names so people can relate to this. Uh, Bob Evans was a really popular one. Mm-hmm. We don't have any up here. I've, Sausage people. <laughs> I've uh, been to Bob Evans before down in Florida in Lakeland, I believe, to be exact. And it was fine. It was kind of like, to me, a Denny's-ish place, but it was okay. Uh, there's also, Quinn, I know that you have a, a weird... I don't know if it's just you like the name or if it's just the the place appeals to you in a weird way, but Perkins. Perkins. What, what's your problem or affinity like for Perkins? Perkins. You I do just, like it, right? Because we didn't have them. They, apparently, they were like more common or something like earlier. And I remember my dad saying that. And then they started opening more of them up again. Yeah. And I remember this happening and just being like, this is really good. It's like better. I always thought it was better than IHOP. Like it was better. Did you really? Yeah, their focus is breakfast food, right? But they so. but they do the the thing where like you can get lunch stuff. Yeah, and you can. Like you can get burgers and all the other the things that you can get at these kind of places. But I really thought they were super underrated, and they're still going. I know there's still yeah. one on eighteen. We have one right here. Yeah. <laughs> the one funny thing about Perkins that I thought was a little silly is it's got this like. <laughs> It's like decorated like it's a bed and breakfast or something. Like yeah, there's curtains and of, like yeah. things like that. Curtains. It's like it's like, hey, this is like this, what I this want. is this is grandma's house or something. <laughs> like that's really weird. And I just always thought that was interesting about it. I guess like it some is, of them have Quinn. wallpaper. <laughs> like it's it's really like it, it, this is grandma's house. She's just cooking you breakfast. I think they're going for like that Sunday brunch feel or something like yeah. that at grandma's. Uh, yeah. One of the segments of the we were talking about Olive Garden for the Italian and Red Lobster for the seafood. There's also the Chinese food one, P.F. Chang's. Yes, P.F. Chang's. Same concept, you know, casual enough, a uh, bar. P.F. Chang's, though, tries to be fancy Chinese food. Yeah, but food. they're not. They're not. They're not. It's the same type but of thing. But you know what's funny is if you go around the country, P.F. Chang's is like, that is the Chinese food. Right. I find that weird because real Chinese places are dumps. P.F. <laughs> Chang's is like... Yeah, the best ones I've ever been to are dumps. Yeah, and they're great. Yeah, like, they're great. That's the thing is when I say it's a dump... That's a compliment. The dumpiest Chinese place is usually means A, the food's authentic. Yeah. And B, like you can get tons of it yes. for like nothing. They're not wasting time on decor. Yeah, but the... F- Signage. I, the best one I ever went to... Seating. ...looked like it was like decorated in 1992... Plainsboro. Plainsboro. Yeah. Oh, your favorite. Uh, yeah, Lotus Garden. Lotus Garden. Hell the yeah. The food is fantastic. I like, and, I like Lotus. And they have an authentic menu. Yes. But that's what they call it because- Shanghai. Because there's like Chinese places like owned by Chinese people with actual recipes from home. If you order in Chinese, you can get things that are not on the menu. Yeah. But the gimmick that Lotus Garden had um, above all the other ones is they wrote that menu in English yeah. on the back. They would just the authentic menu. Yeah. And everything was dramatically different yep. from like the normal it was, Chinese. It wasn't the American. It was yeah. absolutely not that. Yep. And it was so much better 
And that's the kind of thing we have. Yes. So it's funny to me to hear P.F. Chang's is right. like the premier or something, yeah. like the, the top of the line Chinese food. Because they're casting a wide net and they're yeah. doing things that are very, very appealing to American tastes. But good, good, solid yeah. food. And of course, Hooters. If you like what you see here on the outside, you're going to love what you'll see on the inside. The recipe for Hooters chicken wings is so secret, even our cooks aren't allowed to know it. Love Hooters. It's it's because actually you like the. <laughs> I know why. Listen. It's not because of the girls. You just you. Uh, it's like actually yeah. It's not. It, believe wings. it or not, the wings are good. <laughs> but like also, there's a there's a weird. It's kind of like got this like scummy barness oh, to it. Oh, you like that? You I don't like know. that, it's, Quinn, it, huh? Yeah, it just has yeah. a weird That's great. way to it. And I, but it's not, it's, it, at the same time, because of what it is, it doesn't feel dangerous. There's like no danger involved. It, so it's got this like, I can get the, the cruddy bar effect, but not feel like I'm in imminent danger. Imminent danger, yeah. right. Okay. Like, and I, I don't know why I enjoy that about it. So that's what you like about Hooters. Yes, the wings right. and the crud. Yeah, the, the crud. <laughs> I don't know. It's got a vibe. Nothing, I can't I can't explain it. Nothing like, against Hooters, the yeah. people that work there or the people that frequent that place. Nothing yeah. against it. It is what it is. On the border is a, another Mexican-style Catena this restaurant. This place is really good. It can be. It has good uh, margaritas, chips are good does, and the chips and salsa are good. They, they fill the ch- Chi-Chi's void to me. Yeah, that's the one good thing about On the Border yeah. by us over they here. They absolutely fill that void. They they hit that same market there, that Mexican yeah. Tex-Mex style. Now, I'd say bad. their chips ri- might rival yeah. Chi-Chi's. I have... <laughs> They Chee-chees. may. Chee-chees. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and what about, you mentioned them earlier, how about the Cheesecake Factory? Thoughts, Quinn? Uh, you could get anything ever that was ever food in existence. <laughs> Can you get cheesecake? Plus cheesecake, okay, yes. Plus, plus an extensive dessert menu that is in... I think what Cheesecake Factory does best is variety. Their menu is huge. I think it's about four feet long. I always thought growing up that the diner had the most variety, and then I went to a Cheesecake Factory, and I was like, what even the hell is going on here? Like, this is... It's like a book. The it's, menu. A- it's like you have to like study it, right? It's there's just it is, so much stuff you can get at the cheese and it's got like a bigness about the design of these places like that the, big the, ceiling the ceiling high is like ceilings. Yeah, super high ceiling yeah. and it almost feels like you're dining in like a train station or something because it's just you know like the like grand, grand central. central yeah it's like yeah. got that vibe to it it's like super weird i agree with you my problem with the cheesecake fact cheesecake factory is that uh it's always crowded anytime i want to go and they don't take reservations i'll say this it's crowded but because of the bigness of the place and the booths are huge it feels once you're sitting down doesn't it weirdly feel private and i can't explain how that effect oh, yeah. works I like i don't understand it there there's always a wait anytime i yeah. want to go which is rarely but we have a gift card my wife and i have a gift card that we've been trying to use for i think three years but anytime that we've been in the vicinity of the cheesecake factory a 40 minute wait and now we got a newborn so we ain't going anytime so soon. can you let me ask can you uh yes do they do any kind of you know you go there and you can do something else kind of situation or like that yeah, day but you i'm call hungry up. I understand that. I don't want to wait 45 minutes and walk around the mall. There's also a mall adjacent. I was just going to say, just take the stroller and go. (laughs) Take the stroller and go. Poke around. Why don't you try that and see how much fun it is, Quinn? It's just a suggestion. (laughs) Okay. It's actually not a bad one. Yeah. Overall, listen, there's so many more restaurants here. Oh, there's probably some we're missing. And you know what? I'm fine missing a lot of them because mm-hmm. I want you guys to bring up other ones that meant a lot to you that you really liked, maybe that aren't in business anymore or are. But speaking of the business overall, 
of casual dining. It was booming with all these places we're talking about in the 70s, in the 80s, and the 90s. And you can see the remnants of that because there's tons of them left over. Still tons of them left over. And then a couple of factors started to put a dent into the armor here. Uh, One of them was in the 90s and into the 2000s especially, there were the health conscious movements that started. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing, But obviously. that's always the ups and downs in the fast food industry has been dealing with that for years too, right? Yeah, and they adapted to the best of their ability. But the perception started to come about that these casual dining places are just high-calorie, low-nutrition fat bombs, basically, you know, that are not mm-hmm. providing anything good. And when the public has that hammered into them long enough, they believe it, whether it's true or not. But it's also an expensive business model. If you think about what's required to run even one of these restaurants in terms of your wait staff, all of your supply chain, all of your overhead, all of your costs, your rent. And it's food that's not cheap, super duper cheap like fast food. Correct. But you have to order in the quantity of fast food. Yeah, you need to have bulk, right? Yeah. And then you have people telling you, well, don't go here. It's not healthy. That starts to erode <laughs> right yeah. at, at your bottom line. They probably get hit before the fast food place because the fast food places just have a mass of people, like yeah. way, way more than these places. Yeah, and the need that they fill is less appetite and more convenience fast food. Yeah. It's less appetite-based. Believe it or not, casual dining, the market segment declined all throughout the 21st century. That's a shame it could, because I do think these offer a, a good service. Well, they do. Ultimately, Quinn. like I think they're a, a net positive as far as like eating variety and stuff like I, that. I totally agree with you. One of the problems, too, that that consumers started to realize is there's too many choices. That's true. And if you're in an area of the suburbs where you have so many different options, it does dilute. It just start, it, you, you develop less brand loyalty that way. I mean, let's just, for two seconds, go over what we have in our vicinity, right? Yeah, and just, go ahead. And just, and just th- if you think about living where we live and realizing that this is an insane amount of variety, yeah, right? And this isn't unique either. We have an Olive Garden. We have a Carabas. Red Lobster. We have a Bonefish, a Red Lobster, Denny's. a Hula Hands, a Denny's, IHOP, IHOP, Perkins, Applebee's, Applebee's, Fridays, Chili's, two Chili's actually, yeah, two Chili's. That's all within eight minutes. All of within each eight other. Mi- and then on top of it, we have a small city next to us that has a ton of eating variety. Yep. And then say we want to go down to Freehold or, you know, all these other towns. Or yeah. Say if we're really feeling fancy, we can go to New York City. Or Philadelphia. Yeah. And then on top of that, all the little, on the side highways, all these little other little tiny eateries that yeah, maybe that you're in the chains. mood for. Yep. So Choices. The choice in an area like us, it's stiff competition. It is. It's totally stiff competition right and so these places actually definitely have a harder time making it the common person like they probably in the in the other locations they get repeat customers but the places by us probably don't get repeat right or if you tr- they get, well you try everything or their repeat customers come in once a year yeah because they're they're doing all the other restaurants Correct. every other weekend yeah. right you 100 percent. it's a far cry from even 25 years ago in mm-hmm. the 90s or 30 years ago in the 90s where you might have three choices right. nearby. All of a sudden, now there's 20 choices nearby for a lot of places, not just us in Jersey. That's one of the factors, but also the emergence of fast casual, like we mentioned at the top of the show. This really started to come to the forefront in the late 90s, early 2000s with Subway being one of the most right. prominent. And some other ones are Panera, Smashburger, Five Guys, Chipotle, Sabaro. Fast casual is defined as 
better than fast food yeah and faster than casual yeah it's literally sits in between the two yeah and then you got something like shake shack where it's like yeah premium fast chef filet and stuff yeah. like that too yeah. and the idea here is that you get the fast food wait time which mm-hmm. is key because if people are hungry and they just want to eat they don't want to wait but then you tell them you can get that casual dining quality which is a step above the fast food quality but at the fast food speed and sometimes only a little bit more price which was really only in the domain of the diner correct before that yeah the food is higher quality than fast food the atmosphere is higher quality if you ever walk into a smash burger i mean you're getting a better product i guess it's so much better than um (laughs) yeah than mcdonald's yeah the burgers at at smash burger are really really good and the perception has become over these last maybe 15 20 years by the key demographics that casual dining restaurants are outdated in terms of their menus and their decor they are not trendy and you're not really getting a lot of value for what you're spending and the food isn't particularly of high quality whereas the perception for the fast casual restaurants is that you're getting faster service, you're getting it at lower cost, it's a trendier place, it's more adaptable, and it's healthier. Yeah, but those are also two because they're very, they're still a relatively new concept, no? New enough, they, yeah, they could within become 20 years. untrendy. For 100%. All we, for all we know, it could become trendy again to go uh, have dinner at, at uh, Applebee's. Applebee's. Yeah, yeah, it could just, it could, that's just what's fashionable. That just moves around. And it'll be interesting to watch how that goes on over the next yeah. 20 years. But what's interesting, too, is that even as consumer spending uh, has gone up over the last decade, mm-hmm. spending on casual dining has still gone down. So people are spending their money. They're just spending it at other places. And I think the pandemic... Uh, that we had, you might have heard of it, certainly expedited a lot of these problems, yeah. exacerbated them. But the problems had already been there. I've been losing money the whole 21st century because it's become easier to just go to like Smashburger if you quickly want to eat or just get something from DoorDash. Yeah. Whatever the hell you want. And I and I already see it. The casual dining places are getting in on the delivery. Yeah, they have they, to. They're noticing that the pandemic opened their eyes. Like they were like, Oh, it changed everything for people. Like more people will eat at Chili's if they can just press a button on their phone and yeah. they, they can get that uh Mexican street corn or, or yeah. that steak dinner or something <laughs> deliver right to their door. Exactly. You know, that, right. there's, uh, there's uh, all these places. I feel like the entire food industry discovered that. During they had the, to. And it was survival. I don't see how they're not booming a little bit from that. Right. Because, I mean, them all opening up to that was a huge boon. It was. And yeah. and putting in outdoor dining at places that previously hadn't had it yeah. was another big deal. And I, what's great, you know what's great about that? What? Is now that the pandemic's over, People, now they have an outdoor yeah, dining area. And they say, yeah, they kept they've it. They kept they, it. They, ha- they built it out of necessity, but now they now they have more space. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, I mean, you know, we'll have to see what develops. Here. We're not here to offer answers on the future, obviously, or right. speculate. But I do think that casual dining places... Uh, the chains, if you will. They have their place. They are comforting. There's brand identification. And to this day, like I could still say, all right, well, maybe I'm just in the mood to go to friggin' Fridays and yeah. I haven't been there in however long and I'll go, you know, yeah. and that's okay. But we want to hear uh, your memories of eating out, especially as a kid, because I think a lot of childhood memories tie back to food yeah a lot of kids remember the first time they went out to dinner or what restaurant the first time they went to a restaurant or ate a certain thing or 
whatever the case may be. Because what we do here is we reminisce, right, yes. Michael Quinn? Yes. And maybe you're a big fan of the Red Lobster, like it's Michael. A great, Qu- great, great location. You, you need to. More people need to give the Red Lobster a chance, <laughs> or perhaps the Olive Garden. Yeah. You know, whatever the case may be, we want to hear from you guys about your favorite and unfavorite casual dining places. Let us know what we didn't talk about. Let us know what we didn't. If you worked at one of these places, we definitely want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. We want to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly. One way or another though Quinn we will be back next week for something completely unbelievably different very different very different but until that time please be sure to follow us on Twitter at AWM podcast join our Facebook group and one way or another we hope you had a nice dining experience with us here until next week I'm Joe Morata and that's Michael Quinn and we will see you next week see ya like what you heard be sure to leave a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app We will see you next week.